I'm here today with Grace Shea of Lebanese Taverna, which is a restaurant group with 13 locations in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And she runs the company with her five siblings. Anyone who lives in this area is very familiar with these restaurants. Grace, thank you so much for joining us on Road to CEO. Hi, Will. Thank you for having me. It's great to great to be here with you. Um, so normally I start off by asking um, how you got to be how you got involved in the business. Uh, this is a family business, though. So can you give a little background where the restaurants came from um, and, uh, and 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 how it got started? Sure. Well, I was four years old when we opened up the restaurants. And if you do the math, we've been around for almost 44 years now um, since the first location. But um, me and my family we were all born in Lebanon. Uh, I'm the youngest of five children that, as you said, own and operate the restaurants. But our parents brought us over to America um, in 1976 when the uh, Civil War broke out in Lebanon, in Beirut. And um, my father decided that it was not safe for us anymore. We lived in Cyprus for about six months um, to get our papers done because the US embassy was not functioning in Beirut at that time. And we had um, some uncles here in Arlington, Virginia, and um, that was a natural choice for the first place we would come. And they helped us out and got us settled. And I'm the youngest of the five kids, so I was only two years old when we came, a year and a half. And uh, my siblings were all teenagers. My brothers went straight to Yorktown High School here in Arlington, Virginia, uh, and... and um, so they worked for a couple years in various jobs, busboys, waiters, newspaper routes, lawn boys, kind of, you know, everyone kind of pooled their money together. Um, and we rented a house in Arlington and um, there was a little pizza and sub shop called the Athenian Taverna. So it was owned by a Greek family. Um, and I think they had, they had, they, uh, sorry, they did have some Greek food, which translated when we took it over for, um, the first 10 years. Um, so they signed the lease and my brothers who were 16 at the time were, were legal counsel and, you know, helped my dad cause my dad didn't speak any English. Um, and they didn't have enough money to change the whole sign. So they just took out Athenian and put Lebanese, slapped the cedar on there and uh, the Lebanese Taverna was born in 1979. That's really interesting. So, wow, that's really a scrappy start. Yeah, yeah, no, really. <laughs> uh, you know, the name is is born out of necessity, right? So um, there's actually a Lebanese Taverna in London, um, and they have copyrighted us because Taverna is a Greek word. It has nothing to do with Lebanon, and you will not see a Taverna in Lebanon. Oh, so it really the name itself is a story, uh, you know, alone of That's how really we came and it represents, you know, our scrappy star, as you, you said, you know, we 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 didn't have anything. My parents have, you know, very little education, came here with five hundred dollars, five kids didn't speak English. So when they, really the dream. when they were in Lebanon, did they have a restaurant? Oh, no, no. My dad was a customs officer. Mm. And my mom was a you know a stay-at-home mom, which is really back then all there were in Lebanon. Um, she there she was married at a young age and had lots of kids. Uh, we're five, four were born at home. I was the only one 
Um, they, they've called me spoiled since I was born because I was born in hospital and they were born at home. So that trend has continued as me being the spoiled one because <laughs> I got to grow up in America too versus, you know, versus them. So do you, so I know you were very young when they, when they started the restaurant, do you, was it, do you know what the thought process was at all? Uh, was it, was it, um, it, it, was there an expectation that starting a business was the right thing to do in America or was, was there some other, you know, comp reason, some other maybe. It factor? was purely passion. It was my father's love for Lebanon and his home country. And he wanted us to have that, uh. to be, to be surrounded by that, to be, my, my father was a customs officer, has nothing to do with food or cooking. However, my mom comes from a line of chefs and cooks and her village is known in Lebanon for people that are, you know, in the culinary world. And her father was a chef as well. So she had that. And my dad had the passion and mm -hmm. that combination. And it was really for 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 him, it was a way to keep Lebanon alive for us. You know, very passionate about his country, his people, his food. I mean, he knew it was delicious. No one knew what hummus was 44 years ago. I mean, look where it's come yeah. so far. And I like it's to amazing. think we have a part to do with that. I think you you deserve some credit for that. Uh, right? I think it, so too. So talk to us a little bit about that though. So, so nobody knew what hummus was. Did people mm -hmm. go to the restaurant? Yeah. So, so it was a pizza and sub shop. And uh, oh. when, when they bought it, they, they, we, we, I say we, like I was four years old and cooking in there, but they, we, um, kept the subs and, and, and pizza and ran it for some time. But when we would sit down and eat as a family or, you know, mom would give me dinner and I'd be eating hummus and kebabs and rice pilaf and customers would come in. They're like, wait, we don't want pizza. What's that? What are you eating? <laughs> um, and so they start, they would have daily specials. So that's really how it grew is the daily specials. And then people knew that you could come to the Lebanese Taverna and get Lebanese food now, ju not just pizza um, and steak and cheese, best steak and cheese. I mean, the memories I have of steak and cheese, but we also had souvlaki and moussaka yeah. and, you know, some of the um, the Greek food left from the menu. So it was very, it was an eclectic uh, menu and within two years, the menu converted totally to Lebanese. And then I think our first article ever was in the Sun Gazette. And it was written by, what's his name? It was a local, a local, um, oh, it's going to bother me, um, uh, a local man. And he wrote about the restaurant and kind of, that was when things really kind of opened up mm. uh, for us and then they really blew up. And I think it was 1983 when Phyllis Richmond, for any of you that lived in the DC area in the eighties and nineties, she was the Washington post um, mm. food critic. I think I was one years old at that. Yeah. Point. <laughs> yeah. So maybe but not. I do. I, I lived in the area and I do. I, the name is familiar. Yeah. She was, she was, pretty synonymous with you know and that was before the days of internet before you know so, it was a, an article that was the only way you found out yeah so that, that's interesting so yeah so the days before the internet you know the uh there was an article you so i assume you did no advertising in general probably 
Yeah. So there's no advertising. There's no internet, but a, a food critic in the Washington Post wrote about you. It sounds like it was a favorable review. I can't imagine yeah. it would be anything else. No, um, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, it, uh, and, and, and so that really transformed things, it sounds like. It did. I mean, we were we were busy before that mm. because, you know, we were a neighborhood restaurant. We were local. And Arlington's one of those places, you know, it's right outside D.C. And I think, you know, it's my hometown. I think of it as a my hometown as a little, you know, quaint little place. But we're in this capital of the United States, probably one of the most powerful cities in the world. And so you had a lot of diplomats, you had a lot of professors yeah. from all the universities. So you had this diverse population living in Arlington, they were educated, they had traveled. And so they looked for ethnic food or something different. Um, and it was really a, a haven for them to come and 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 see us as a family there as well. I mean, not just the food, you had this family and you could see it right in front of you, you know, like immigrants, the parents are working hard, the kids are helping them. Yeah. It was, you know, people wanted us to succeed. It, you yeah. know, of course the food was important, but I think it's just as much about um, the community rallying behind us and supporting us and making sure we were successful. I think that's really interesting. Um, so what was the expectation for for your contribution personally as you got older? You know, did you, you know, you were four years old. I imagine you were washing dishes immediately. No, <laughs> what, yeah, what was well, it? I, I, I was known to hand out business cards in kindergarten, which was right across the street at Walter Reed Elementary School at the time. So, um, you know, people, I get that question. It's very interesting. I was never forced to go into the business. Um, and my dad was very proud because, uh, my brother Danny and I were the first to graduate with a four year degree in you know, college. Look at me. I can't even say it. You'd think I, um, they taught me better, but we were the first and I studied government relations. So my dad was wanted me to be ambassador. He's like ambassador. I mean, he would call me ambassador, ambassadora, right. He would, um, so I don't, I don't know that he necessarily, saw me personally, I think maybe more for my older siblings because they really had invested so much in the initial 10 years, the first 10, 15 years. I was in, I was I was young. So you know I did what I could. I always I worked throughout high school. I worked throughout college. I was always part of it, but I wasn't a decision maker. Yeah. It wasn't until I was in college. I went to George Mason University here and worked the whole time um, that I kind of made my um, mark on the business by creating um, the catering division of the restaurant. Um, I essentially saw, I helped a lot with catering in the restaurants where people would come and get food to, to take to their home. And I grew it by enlisting my college friends to come. Why don't we deliver the food? We can help them clean and set up. We can, you know, so it was a very organic mm. um uh step um that created a full service catering company we have our, our now four five different vans we have a catering facility that's separate from all the restaurants mm. its own staff salespeople. so and it was a great revenue source because our restaurant was maximized right we can only do so much on a friday or saturday night so it was a new um avenue of monetary that came in that money that came in and um i think 
it kind of showed my siblings that I was I was able to do this. I also look, so there's five of us. We all kind of have different talents that we bring to the um, business. My sister was always um, an artist she did, and she did all the graphics and printing in-house. So she had the, she had that part. My brother, David um, could build a house from top to bottom or rebuild in a, a car. So he does all the maintenance, all the, plants he builds the restaurants he you know kind of um my brother danny was he studied business at george mason and he is definitely he's the technically the ceo and you know we grew because of him um we don't have titles like ceo and coo and but um he was the one who after graduating from george mason saw this little restaurant in westover and how popular it was and let's expand it. So we, you know, we opened up DC in 1991 on Connecticut Avenue. Um, and me, I was always a CA president. I was always model UN kind of the, um, the organizer. And I, I do still play a lot of those roles where, where I serve on boards of directors or um, work with the nonprofits or create new revenue sources like K catering or private dining and groups and so yeah I think we all kind of although we weren't forced to go into the business we used our strengths and and yeah. gave it to the business and that's what helped it grow I see I see um it, it, you said you opened the second location in DC was that did you say it's Connecticut Avenue yeah Woodley Park Woodley Park yeah so okay so that was open what year was that one opened 91 91 okay and so and so um so you from 19 okay i'm getting my dates wrong here that 1978 it was founded nine 79. 79 was the first one and to so 91 then, then to 91 um and mm -hmm. then and then when was the third one do you remember when the third one was opened sure yeah the mar it was the market it was 1990 it was 92 Okay. So, okay. So, okay. So then a year later you, you opened the third location. So then, mm -hmm. so then really you started growing, it seems quite a bit following that second location. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was sporadic, right? We'd open two within two years and we wouldn't open anything for five years. So if you think about 44 years and 13 locations, it's really not that many. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, they, 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 did, they did go in kind of these little pockets. Do you have a currently a vision for the, for the size or the growth that you'd like the Lebanese Taverna to be? You know, it's a very different answer after COVID than it would have been before COVID. Um, you know, COVID was a scary time for everybody in the whole world, right? I would and imagine. We, and, we, and we feel free to segue into an answer about COVID because that was going to be the next answer was how, what was that? Well, I mean, it's just, it's a different answer. Like if you yeah. would have asked me before COVID, we were on a growth, we were on expansion before yeah. COVID. We opened up three stores three months before COVID started. And um, that was not great. <laughs> and they were all quick service lunch spots. And so we have these three brand new stores that were meant for the office crowd. And, you know, you know, we, that story, right? Well, and, and I think everybody um, listening knows. Office crowd. That, yeah. Yeah. Everybody listening yeah, knows. It, that those, it's those, changed. Yeah. Those, the office crowd wasn't there anymore. No, it, it wasn't there anymore and it's still not there. I mean, it's better. Yeah. Um, but the five day a week in the office is really the anomaly at this point. 
Um, even if they are requiring office time, it's maybe two, three days. Um, and so many companies are not. And the biggest company, the federal government, yeah. <laughs> which is the major employer here in the DC area is not, has not required it yet. I, I know it's coming. Um, and I definitely feel like it's gotten better this, this spring. Like there's been a big jump in volume on the streets. If you look at traffic or in our DC stores, you'll see that there's definitely more people walking on the sidewalks and traffic and such. So it's, making comeback i think dc probably was one of the hardest hit um in the country in terms of large cities um in terms for of that restaurant reason. in terms of the restaurants being impacted or well, the restaurants being impacted because the city being impacted remember we had the riot i mean we there's been a lot going on in dc the last few years so it wasn't just covid there was so much going on um that affected people going downtown i mean you know, in the suburbs, yeah. people didn't go downtown for a couple of years. They're, they're making their way back, right? They're making their way back. But uh, other cities recovered sooner than we have. And I think D.C. is probably one of the the last ones to really see, um, you know, their occupancy is still way down. The, mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, and, and restaurants run the city. I mean, there's so many restaurants and you think of all the corporate lunches and all those um yeah. those what are they called tabs that you know companies had for taking people out and and they've come back a little but they're they're nowhere close to 2019 so my answer is right now um in terms of expansion we are focusing on what we have we just opened a new store inside the pentagon in it's in Arlington, Virginia. Technically, it's Washington D.C. Just so you know. Oh. Um, yeah. Mean technically, the Pentagon is, or that part of the Pentagon. The Pentagon is. I thought it's the Pentagon was Arlington. I didn't realize that. It was... isn't. It is in Arlington, but it's Pentagon, Washington D.C. I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, um, but that was a uh, that was a lease uh, that we signed before COVID, and it was um, something we were passionate about. It, you know, inside the Pentagon, there's a lot of people there. I don't know between twenty five and thirty five thousand people there a day that don't leave the building. So the choices that they have are just what's in the walls and what they bring with them. And they, they don't have really good choices. I hate to say it, so sorry. But, you know, they have Popeyes and McDonald's and um, Subway and Dunkin' Donuts. And I mean, uh, I think the probably the best would be a Panda Express. Mm. Um, so it was really, it meant a lot to us to be able to serve Lebanese food to the men and women that protect us. And, you know, th these people do so much to serve their country. And for us to be able to give them healthy food that tastes good. And, you know, it was, and talk about the American dream. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was really nice for our family to be able to do that. So that, um, that was a special, yeah. a special opening for us. Now we don't have anything else. You know, people still come to us and we're like, not right now. So I think we, we we still are recovering mentally and physically and financially from COVID. 
Um, but we're definitely getting there. And then, yeah, I don't think we'll ever stop growing. I think it's just a matter of how we grow now. I, I think that it is such an accomplishment to have made it through COVID um, that I, I want to ask a few more questions about that. Sure. I, I mean, it must have been, first of all, just incredibly scary to be shut down. I mean, what was it like? You know, what, what, what was the timeline exactly? We know roughly you know, March 10th or March 11th, it was a global yeah. pandemic that was declared. And then every, the flight started getting canceled. Um, yeah, so the first couple of weeks, it was like, oh, you know, stay, you know, there was no orders to shut down. There was no, it was kind of like this thing is happening. And if you remember St. Patrick's Day, they were encouraging people not to go to bars and drink. And, you know, there was some outbreaks after St. Patrick's Day with some cases and, so it wasn't, you know, I can't tell you the exact day, but I want to say it was maybe the last week in March or the first week in April where it was it was a government shutdown. Of, we could not. Now we are considered essential. So we did a couple of our stores that were quick service, like the market here in Arlington um, functioned more like a grocery store. So those that store stayed open. The full service restaurants closed. No one was allowed in dining rooms. Um yeah, it was it was so, it was terrifying. So the so so that's it's interesting that you have at least three different types of restaurants. You've got the yes. full service restaurant, like a dining room. You've got a restaurant that has a marketplace that that really is a grocery store, mm -hmm. uh, and you've got at least one of those. Um, and then yes. I think, and then and then you've got the quick service ones. Are there five are there, of those? Oh, five. Okay. And then we have a catering service, so we have four different types. Okay, so then I would imagine the catering service could operate. Right? But who was having a party? But, but nobody, but nobody would be having an event. Um, you know, there was, the there was no one was having. You weren't allowed to have parties. Yeah. You were, you know, you couldn't have more than five people at one point. You know, gathered yeah. together. You know, <laughs> exactly. The quick service um, ones you said were allowed to sort of operate for people to pick yes. up, but but mostly those would be located near offices. So yeah, the half of them were located in your offices, the other half were not. And, okay. and you know, especially at the beginning, you were our employees were terrified. Yeah. You know, they didn't want to come to work. Yeah. You know, they're telling everyone to stay home. And this is even before masks, right? They're telling everyone to stay home, but oh, you guys can go to work. And you know, the restaurant industry is very, I think, secondary to other industries where they had to go to work, the factories manufacturing food or the water plants or, you know, the world still had to operate, but uh, it was, it was definitely a, um, a psychological education on how to talk to the employees, how to, you know, make sure you address their concerns but yet you still need people to work in your restaurant or else, I mean, we went from making, you know, say we made a hundred dollars a day to, to $10 a day, yeah. but we still needed those $10 and we still needed people to generate that. Yeah. So, um, so that was a big part of it was, and if there was a, uh, you know, later on as people started to get sick or get COVID, if there was an, uh, someone got COVID in the restaurant, you'd have to shut it down. I mean, it was like, there are so many steps of so many phases of COVID that um, 
you kind of had to, your game changed, right? Like depending on where you were and then the whole vaccine thing, do you, do you allow people to work if they've not been back? I mean, it just, there was so, it ran the gamut of like things of we had to deal with besides making food because we're a restaurant and that's what we do. But we had to do so many other things during that time. One of them was, you know, getting government aid like PPP and figuring out how to do that correctly. And, you know, there was, it was, it was definitely a challenging time for everyone. And I think restaurants, unlike other industries, um, you need people in your store to, to make money. You know, I, I think of some of the industries that flourished during COVID. If you're a mortgage broker, if you were, you know, there are industries that you don't need to be in person. You don't need totally. to be face to face, you know, and they flourished. Um, and I, I'm, you know, construction, construction did great. You know, people weren't on the streets. It was perfect time to, and then of course you had supply chain that came later because construction was so great to do at that time. Right. Um, but uh, yes, restaurants was definitely, I mean, you think restaurants, gyms, those places that if people don't go, there's no income. Yeah, there, there's nothing. I mean, so, I, you know, I operate an ad agency and, you know, we got hurt only by because of the clients that got hurt. You know, so if a client got shut mm -hmm. down, then obviously we, you know, we weren't gonna gonna work yeah. with them for, for that time. And so about at the time, about 30% of our revenue was from uh, these franchise businesses called the Little Gym and, you know, the great little companies. And, you know, about 30% of our revenue at the time was from that. They all got shut down, you know, for a prolonged period, they came back, but it was, you know, it was tough going and- yeah. And so, so ultimately we lost overnight about 40% of our revenue, but, you know, because advertising, you, we, because we could advertise to all kinds of other businesses, we, we, we were able to recover that and return to growth within about 12 months. And then, yeah, I mean, I mean, something that I think, you know, restaurants would probably have to be pretty lucky, I would imagine to, to, I mean, you know, to be able to bounce back that quickly, I would imagine would be probably unrealistic i'm guessing well and the world probably changed for you in advertising you probably had more uh, a, a more attentive Correct. audience at this Correct. point right so there were some advantages yes yes because now everyone's at home not doing as much as they were before and so they're on their computers more and they're on their you know so Correct. i would imagine yeah that there were so were there any advantage what so were there any positive things that came out of this um from a business perspective for you so, I mean, we got creative and we did some new things that we're still doing today that I think, um, you know, help uh, help us continue to grow, you know, forced us to have a better online ordering system and kind of those things where yeah. I, I, it we were okay before COVID in terms of we did a lot of takeout and we had DoorDash and, you know, some third-party deliveries, but then we had to join all the third-party deliveries. And then we had to have our own e-commerce webpage on our, our for Lebanese to Furniture. And so it, we had to set it up and we had to set it up quickly. <laughs> so that was helpful because we still use those platforms. And I think um, there's no going back with that. Um, and then when it came to our catering, there was no catering happening for the first year and a half. Um, and so we started doing these community and neighborhood drops. Um, 
which were really busy during COVID, right? You could order ahead. We'd show up with our van. You'd meet us at the truck and we'd give you your food. You didn't have to go into a restaurant. You know, it was great. And we were going to areas that didn't have Lebanese food. So it was even better because they weren't, they didn't have access to it. And some of these areas were as far as the Delaware beaches, Bethany, Lewis, Rehoboth, Richmond, Williamsburg, Deep Creek Lake, um, because us as owners had nothing to do. So we would get in the car and I mean, not nothing to do, but the operations were very limited. So we got behind the, the wheel and um, delivered foods all over the East Coast and people loved it and we loved it. And it was a great, um, um, it was a it was a, a good revenue source. It didn't make up for all the lost business, yeah. but it was something. And it was a it was great for us as owners and even some of our employees to see people and have them be excited to have our yeah. food. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, I did a few things like that during COVID as well. And I think it, it kind of just for morale almost. And I think the morale was such a critical thing during COVID. So that, that makes sense that that would, that that would make a, a big difference for the team. And we're still delivering to the beaches and because oh, those places still don't have Lebanese food. So they're so, not as popular as before, right? Before it was, everyone was looking for something. Now it's just everyone that's addicted to Lebanese Taverna and can't wait for us to come back. That's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah. So, so you continue to do that. So then you also made the comment that people will approach you and I assume you mean approach to create a new location in a new spot. Yes. What yeah. type of, what type of people approach you? Like, like, and I just speaking, like, I just want to ask this question as kind of somebody on the outside of the restaurant business, sure. just out of curiosity, where, where, you know, who, what type there's of a few there's a few so we get the the emails from customers saying my god i live in so and so please open up a store here right wow. just the those and then we have um uh landlords that you know we, we have a property we think lebanese Inferno would be a great fit here um so the local landlords and then we have the larger developers they're developing a whole new area and they want anchors and they want um so a lot of these landlords will come with great, you know, a very appealing deals, attractive offers to have us come being in their center. Um, but it's just not something we're we're ready for yet. Okay. Okay. So I've got one other tough question for you now. I don't now feel free if I to to to, to not answer, of course. Um, but just out of curiosity, is you know, so are all the businesses are all the locations set up as independent businesses or is it all one business? It's all. All independent. I see. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So that means. So okay. So then, what happens with a, you know, a restaurant that, you know, everything gets shut down. That you've got to pay your rent. You've got bills. You know, but there's no money coming in because you've got. You know, the government has forced you to shut down. How do you, I know that? And there's you know maybe some government money that sort of thing. But how do you deal with that? Like how do you like what? I mean, obviously that must have been awful. Yeah, I spent. I'd say. A good three months negotiating with landlords. I mean, I landlords were negotiating with everybody at that point because, especially if you were a restaurant, because they knew that if you don't make food and people buy it, there's no money coming. It's not like an office or a law office or a, you know, a, a Capital One or if 
we have to be there and we have to to make revenue. And if you know how restaurants operate, they're pretty much day to day. It's not like a restaurant makes enough to bank, you know, the next six months of payment. It's just, just not how the restaurant industry works. Um, it's usually a cash basis type of cash flow type. So we spent a lot of time negotiating with landlords and trying to figure that out. And we do have the advantage that we do have many locations and some, so we, we often will help each other um, when needed, but it was definitely um, the work that we did with landlords for that time period um, that kept us afloat and, and helped. But yes, I mean, we are a family, the restaurants are a family, they all have the same ownership. It's just a matter of, um, you know, some do better than others. Thankfully, right now we're, we're okay. Yeah. Of the three types of businesses, the, uh, the quick service, the dining rooms and the, um, uh, and the catering, uh, mm -hmm. what, which of the three did the best during COVID? Like, which was it? The market for sure. I mean, which, like I said, was during, uh, it was a, operates more like a grocery store it did it had its it, 2020 was better than 2019 mm -hmm. uh, but it was only one location unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately yeah. um, so the market that did very well you know quick service and full service did about the same because people were getting takeout from both of them it didn't matter if you had a dining room or not people were getting takeout from the only the, that's in terms of sales but the restaurants had much larger expenses right so the quick service were made to produce food and send it out the door where the full service restaurants had a, were carrying larger expenses dining rooms that fit 100 to 200 people were empty and it was just really the ki kitchen operating and and um, producing food and takeout can never make up for 10 people sitting in a restaurant eating and drinking I mean, you know, it was great, but we probably made 20% of our revenue in the full service restaurants. And wow. I think that was a lot for some people. I, did you talk to other restauranters? Oh my gosh. If nothing else, the support, the, the, like there were support groups for, yeah. for this, for being a restaurant owner during COVID. And I don't know that I would have made it without the support of other restaurant owners. Yeah, I um I didn't talk to very I talked to a, a few other ad agency owners during COVID, but I talked to other businesses, business owners in general, and that was so critical. You know, to just hear from people what they're going that they were going through something similar, that their anxiety might have been at least the same. Well, and also to help them, like you know, do you make sure you got the PPP. Did you do this right? Did you do that? Did you get the ERC? You know, like kind oh. of making sure that you know everyone was everyone was sharing information because they they wanted to help each other I, I agree i i talked to a business owner who yeah helped me navigate the ppp process mm -hmm. in a way that i you know i don't know if i would have done it had i not gotten that kind of support um yeah. you know there were just too many things going on and and there were a lot of roadblocks you know when when I, i'm sure you remember you know you Especially go the first one the first round uh, yeah, the second round was easy. First round, second was, round was easy. Yeah, yeah. The first round, you didn't think it was ever going to happen. Mm -mm. No. Nope. And it was, oh my gosh, thing. I, you know, the best thing about COVID was I lost some weight during the first, you know, three months because I wasn't sure what the heck was going to happen in the world. 
I'll tell you what, the people who were able to stay focused, I think, did that. And then and then folks who who didn't have as much going on, I think, but yeah, <laughs> they were the ones in trouble. The COVID-20, right? The COVID-20. Yeah, COVID yeah. I also, yeah. I, I haven't asked this of other CEOs. Maybe I should start asking if some people gained <laughs> weight during COVID. Yeah, that'll be a gauge of how, how good their business is. So. I mean, that's all gone now. I've gained a lot, but the yeah. first few months, it was great. <laughs> So how, what about the current young generation in the family? Are, they, are, are folks involved with the, with the restaurant? Yeah, I mean, so all of them work, you know, when they're in high school or college, they work here or there, cashiers or servers. Um, but there hasn't been a strong interest to go beyond that. Um, but they're all kind of young. You know, the oldest is maybe 29 and I don't see him going in. And my, my niece is in medical school, so she's not going to do it. Um, you know, my sister son, who's a senior in high school, he works at the restaurant and he loves it. And his father is a chef mm. as well. So he has the culinary background on both sides of the family. So maybe, you know, he'll be the one, my kids are still in high school, but I do say to them, do not go into the family business. <laughs> <laughs> um restaurants are hard restaurants yeah. are hard it's not a um well first any family business is hard right uh especially multi-generational um it has its own challenge and then you add the restaurant business on on top of that and it's it, it can be very challenging my siblings and i work together fairly well for people that spend so much time together um and we've made it work and for us it's also a sense of pride for our parents um, and what they what they created and um, what it did for us. So we have that um, motivating us. For our kids, it's a little little less of a motivator. And um, I really I don't expect I don't expect it. Um, but someone's gonna have to. So we'll see. What's the biggest challenge in general for a multi generational or you know family business? Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely the, I see it one way and they see it another way. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it, it, it um, you have that, I think in any office, right? In any business where someone sees it one way and you see it another and you figure it out and there's a hierarchy. It's a little bit harder when there's a family and then there's it's a little bit harder when you're at Easter dinner and you you know you just had it out with them you know two days before and you have to sit there and smile and tell, you know That's so you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time together and that's the thing we were together at the office we all live near each other we spend the holidays together so I think that's the most challenging is just the amount of time and I mean even when I go on vacation with another family after a week I'm like okay <laughs> and I love them and it's not it's nothing to do with who they are or what it's just when you spend that kind of time that's why so many marriages don't work right <laughs> it's a lot of time with one person <laughs> so I think it's just it's really um as long as you all have the same goal which is the pride that we have for our family you know we all want to represent Lebanon well we all want to make our parents proud we we all want to feel feel fulfilled within the community. And that's huge for us. It's a big part of what we do and who we are. Um, so that keeps us going and definitely having our different areas kind of 
we stay in our lanes except when there's big decisions and such. So that definitely helps. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to the Road to CEO podcast. I think this is uh, this is going to be very educational and informative for the next generation of CEOs as they as they come up. Uh, so thank you for joining. Now, I'd love to, so you've got 13 locations. I hope that people listening will take this as as their motivation to go out and get a a, a delicious dinner or lunch at, you know, what now can you can you list off all the locations off the top of your head? Okay. Is that possible? I'm going to start. So uh, Woodley Park, Washington, D.C., 17th Street in Washington, D.C., Pentagon Row in Arlington, The Pentagon in Arlington slash Washington, uh, Westover in Arlington, Tyson's Galleria in Fairfax, Rockville Town Square in Maryland, mm -hmm. Congressional Plaza also in Rockville, Silver Spring uh, in Maryland, Annapolis in Annapolis, Maryland, Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, the market also in Arlington. Uh oh, it's ten. Well, oh, I counted twelve. Hold on, Pentagon, Pentagon, oh. Silver Tyson's, Woodley Park, Seventeenth, Annapolis, Silver Spring, Congressional, Rockville Town Square, Baltimore Market, and Catering. I wrote it down. Very impressive. <laughs> well, oh, and we do have one at the airport. That's technically a franchise. It's operated by the concession company there. But at, um, um, what is it? I call it National Airport. I know it's not National Airport. Reagan. Around Reagan. Yeah. Reagan. Reagan National. Yep. Reagan National. I just, I just ate at that one. Oh, you did? Oh, oh good. Yeah, I, I flew out to, to, to Serbia here. I hope so. they did okay, because we don't actually own that. Um, and we provide them with some of the food, but some of the food they do on their own. So it's not always up to our standards. So it's, it can be frustrating at times. So I hope it was okay. It was good. It was very good. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Grace. This has been fantastic. And all the people listening, go to the Lebanese Taverna for the best Lebanese food you can get in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. And, uh, and apparently now at the beaches and, and around for, for the <laughs> yeah. drops. So uh, on our website, you can, there's a schedule and come back next time for an episode of road to CEO and grace. I hope you'll join us again for another, to be a guest again. I would love it. Thanks so much. Will. thanks grace.